Hello, this is Jim Warren, alias Jimbo. By now, if you've been listening to each episode of these podcasts, you're used to hearing a phone ring and me say, hello, Jimbo speaking. Then Riri come on and make announcements followed by some kind of comedy with Hershimer. But not this episode. Why? This is a two-part edition of Stories from the Front Lines of Ministry. I've saved it for the last day of launch week. Remember, starting Monday, there will be one episode per week. In those episodes, we're going to get back to all the fun, all the craziness, all the inside Jimbo's head and heart, and all the comedy with Hershimer. And of course, Riri will be back, but not today. Why? This is a serious story. It is probably the most serious story I have ever shared in my life. In fact, it has impacted me more than any other story. The young man who this story is all about is a young man that impacted me and many other people in a very, very deep way. So remember, this is a two-part back-to-back episode of Stories from the Front Lines. So when the music begins to fade from the first part, the second part will start right away, and you do not want to miss that second part, because it's entitled, The Rest of the Story. walked into the church building I attend. Wes and I sat down on opposite sides of the coffee bar. He was a good-looking, clean-cut young man who just turned 18. The only signs of past problems I had noticed were the scars on his arms from cutting. Even though he was 18, he was still under juvenile probation. I had met with this young man three times a week for the past four or five weeks, but decided today I would ask for his story. This is why I chose the seclusion of the church building. Sometimes when we are in a public place, young people are not willing to be honest about their story. And this young man, he was more than honest. What I heard surprised me. I was surprised not by the content of his story. My surprise came from how such a story was coming from a young man who showed deep signs of change. Wes was so serious about a changed life and very interested in what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus. So Wes, tell me your story. Are you sure you're ready for this, Jimbo? Inside I laughed. That was the first time any of my young friends asked me that question. I assured him I was ready, and he did not have to worry about his relationship with me because of his past. 
I reminded him, as I do all the young people I befriend, I saw him as a person of immeasurable worth, innate greatness, and unlimited potential to reach that greatness. You know, I believe this about you no matter what you have done or haven't done, what you have or what you don't have, where you come from or where you don't come from, or what people say about you or don't say about you. I know, Jimbo. I heard that many times in your class, and I know you really believe that about all the kids in JDC. Even me. What did you call that for short? I wig up. That's right, Jimbo. I wig up. That is so cool. Wes began by telling me how he never really knew his biological father. He was a crackhead, according to Wes, and took off right after he was born. I guess he really didn't want a kid. Or maybe it was just he didn't want me. Whatever the case, he left my mom and me. He described his biological mother as a good mom, but one that had some deep problems. The only father he knew was his stepfather, who he considered his real dad. While Wes felt his stepfather was very good to him, he described a horrible relationship between his stepdad and his mom. They would fight on and off all the time. Often, he would physically abuse her. I guess she mentally abused him. We would move out and then back in and then back out and just kept repeating that for a long time, Jimbo. That must have been rough. Not really, Jimbo. He was good to me and often took me with him to work at the garage he owned. I didn't get too much into the mechanical side of things, but I picked up on the towing end of his business. I have often heard this positive report from the young people I befriend. They are in a horrible situation, but feel it is not that bad as long as they have one or two good things on which they can focus. Wes told me that both his stepdad and mom ended up in jail at the same time for domestic battery. That was the first time he moved in with his grandmother, Sheila. This took place when he was six years old. I don't know why, but I've always had anger issues, Jimbo. I was always getting into fights all the time. I smiled, but in my mind, it was obvious why he was so troubled and angry at such a young age. You were in fights all the time when you were only six years old? Yeah, I was the kid in first grade they really didn't want in the school because I was always fighting with other kids. I guess that has followed me all my life. Wes continued telling me that once his mom got out of jail, she was arrested on a DUI and lost her license. Finally, when he was between 9 or 10, his mom and stepdad split, and he and his mom moved to South Bend, Indiana. They lived in a homeless shelter for a year and a half, and of course, he continued to get into fights in school. It was during this time that mom's problem with alcohol kept getting worse, to the point she was paying more attention to her boyfriends than to Wes. By the time Wes turned 12, his mother had a job and they moved into a duplex that was only one block away from the projects. This was a notorious part of town where he learned more and more about the wrong kinds of things. We always heard gunshots outside our windows and the sound of sirens as cops chased people from the projects. I would spend most of my time roaming the streets, but I always walked away from the projects. For many years, Wes spent most weekends with his grandmother Sheila and grandfather. 
He became very close to his grandfather, but during the time they lived near the projects, his grandfather passed. This was the first time I went to a funeral, and it really freaked me out, Jimbo. Why? I asked. I don't know, but I've been afraid of dying ever since. It was during this time, when he was 12, that his mom pulled Wes out of school. They thought they might be moving, yet never did. Nonetheless, he was never put back in school that year. This is when roaming the streets took up most of his time. Soon his mother lost their home, and they began living out of her boyfriend's truck. For a short time, they moved into his other grandfather's home. That didn't last long, because my mom was just mooching off of him and stealing his prescription drugs to feed her habit. So back into the truck they moved. All this happened as he was turning 13. Soon mom figured she couldn't take care of me and she gave up her rights to my grandmother, Sheila, who I still live with today. Whether she couldn't take care of me or just didn't want to bother, I don't know. But that is how I ended up back in this area with grandma. As usual, I had small tears forming in the corner of one eye, but was able to conceal them from Wes. Wow, that was when you first became a teenager. How did things go with Grandma? Oh, Grandma has always been great. Yet when I got back into school here, I was always like that black sheep because I came from a ghetto school. That's what everyone said anyway. People didn't like me, and I would not put up with their crap. Back near the projects, people talked crap and followed through with it. Here they talk crap and never follow through. I didn't like that. So I was the one who was always following through and knocking the crap out of them. That caused me to smile. I know I shouldn't have, but his expression was too much for me to take. Soon after I moved back here, my stepdad died. That was really hard, Jimbo. The only two guys who really showed me any love were gone. That look of pain I saw on his face when Wes said that last sentence was one I had never seen on him before. By the time I got into seventh grade, I began to make a few friends. I was tall and they told me I should play basketball. I was really good at basketball, Jimbo. Now that look was different. This time, it was a look of great pride. Wes told me it was because of basketball that he tried harder to keep his grades up so he could continue on the team. At this point, when Wes was doing so well in seventh grade, he was able to see his mom again. Sometimes he would get to spend a full weekend with her. However, on one of these visits, his mom began to talk, as he put it, crap about his stepdad. He became so angry that he punched the wall and broke his hand. That act of violence caused him to miss the complete second half of the basketball season. By the time he reached eighth grade, a physical problem had caused him to have to have an operation. This time he missed the entire season. He also had his first heartbreak by a young lady. All of these things piling up over the years began to bring on bouts of depression. Soon he began to hang with the wrong kids and began to smoke cigarettes. By the time Wes hit his freshman year, his depression had become worse. Though he was involved in basketball that year, he kept his depressed feelings to himself and began to self-medicate with pills. A 10-day stay in a residential treatment program resulted from an attempted suicide. 
As I have heard many times over the past 30 plus years, Wes told me he only did what he had to do to get out of the center. They put him on an antidepressant, which he soon stopped taking because of the way it made him feel. He began to self-medicate again with marijuana and other drugs. It was at this point Wes became hooked on Xanax. He specifically called this his devil drug. Soon he became a major dealer of the very drugs he was using. I was making so much money dealing, I quit the basketball team because it took time away from my business. Wes told me this with a sense of regret in his voice. This was all happening during the 10th grade. Soon after I was making good money dealing, I got into a major fight at school. I was expelled, but Jimbo, I really didn't care. It gave me more time to sell. What did you tell your grandma at this point, Wes? <laughs> I lied to her all the time. I was always out at night when she was home, but I almost got caught once, Jimbo. Did that make you stop? You have to be kidding, Jimbo. Remember, I didn't care about anything at that point but getting wasted and making more money selling drugs. He continued for another hour and a half, telling me how his life persisted in getting further and further out of control. He ended up in the Last Chance Alternative School, was in and out of JDC, and was even arrested for battery with bodily injury. I came to your classes, Jimbo, but I really wasn't into changing my life. I have heard and seen that problem numerous times with many young people who first attend my class. Did we ever visit together one-on-one? -on -one? I sure don't remember meeting with you back then. No, Jimbo. I just came because I figured that if you were making an effort to come in, I should at least come to your class. But I didn't pay much attention back then. He continued with his story. Wes was often on house arrest but skipped out all the time to hang out with his drug friends and to get wasted. He told me of more fights, more arrests, more broken house arrests, and a broken relationship that sent him over the edge. All these incidents added up to one final decision. I decided to end it all, Jimbo. I texted all my friends, including my ex-girlfriend, telling them what they meant to me. I took many Xanax and Coke and many of my grandma's blood thinner pills and began cutting myself. I went to bed not expecting to wake up. However, I woke up with blood all over the place. Some cuts were clotting up, so I picked them open again and got into a hot bath. But I woke up again in the tub. My grandma came home and went ballistic over all the blood. I ended up in a hospital. I pleaded for them to put me in JDC rather than a psych ward. I ended up in JDC for more than a month and remembered seeing you, Jimbo, but I decided not to go anymore. When I got out, I did okay for a while. Then one day, my buddy and I thought we were doing great and deserved to party. It would take me way too long to tell you about this incident. Let me simply say this was probably the worst he had gotten. Wes told me that when he had attempted suicide, he remembered the death of his grandpa and stepfather. That seemed to shake him up quite a bit. Despite this fear, he partied. Of course, the aftermath of the party incident landed him back in juvenile detention. Wes, I believe every word you have told me, but you have to know it shocked me. 
I was not shocked because I have never heard these things before. I have heard them way too often. But you, Wes, you are such a changed person now. I have met with you many times, and you are so focused on changing and becoming the person Jesus wants you to be. What in the world made that change? As he began to answer the question, I began to fall apart inside. Well, Jimbo, it was you. After all the things I had gone through and the fact that I was turning 18, I knew I had to change. And then there was the fact that I really didn't want to die. In that first class of yours, the one I attended that last time I was in JDC, it all began to make sense. You see, Jimbo, it was you and the way you presented things to us kids that really made the difference. Now, I know God uses me with these kids. However, seeing such a drastic change so suddenly in a young man like Wes, that pierced my heart. What did you like best about the class that last time? Well, Jimbo, it's the way you present things. Other people come in and kind of read out of a book to us. You can tell they were just doing their job. But you, Jimbo, you were always real. You were always honest with us, and you understand us and speak our language. Even though I had heard it before, when you told us the chicken and the eagle story the way you do, I really began to believe that I could change. Then you talked about I wake up. But the thing that got to me was when you talked about Jesus at the end. I knew I would have a hard time changing, but with Jesus, you just made him sound so real, so powerful, and so interested in me. I asked to talk to you after class, and that was the first time I sat down with you one-on-one. I could tell you really felt for me. You were really for real. I remember those meetings very well. I met with Wes three or four times. On the last visit we had, he thought he was getting out, so he asked if I would coach him when he returned home. I, of course, said yes and gave my card to a detention officer to put in Wes's folder. This is the folder he would take home with him. Sure enough, the next time I walked into JDC, Wes was gone. They told me he was sent home two days earlier. That was depressing. It was depressing because if I don't hear from a young person within two days from their release, I rarely hear from them again. This seemed to be the case with West, for over the next few weeks, I never heard from him. I continued to pray for him, and then one day, my cell phone sounded my normal ringtone. It was a call from Wes. It seems he never received my card, but he asked all around about Jimbo every time he was at day reporting at probation. One day, a woman in the room who was doing assessments heard him and told him she knew me. She went ahead and gave him my number because she knew that is what I would want her to do. That very day was the day he called. Wes and I meet two or three times each week ever since that first call. We spend from an hour and a half to two and a half hours together each time. Wes is always excited about our meetings and can't wait for us to get together. He and I have talked about many things, but our favorite is talking about Jesus. I just can't seem to get him off that subject. We have now begun an in-depth study on who Jesus is, what he did, and what he said to people who wanted to follow him. The result? 
only Father knows. Wes asked me if I would ever write his story in a book. I promised Wes that if he continued to grow and overcome as much as he has already, I would one day help him write a book sharing his story. He can hardly wait. Wes hopes that his story will help the hundreds of young people in our county who are in a similar boat in which Wes once sailed. Here were the last words we had with one another the last time we were together. Hey Jimbo, do you think I can someday help others the way you've helped other kids and me? If you keep moving forward and seriously come to grips with Jesus, yes, I am sure you will. In fact, Wes, I believe that one day you will take my place. And Jimbo cried with tears of joy and humility deep inside once again as he and Wes walked out the door together. And yes, a few of those tears, well, they dripped down my cheek. rest of the story. I was getting ready to leave my house to pick up Wes for another time together. We had talked about going miniature golfing someday. Today, we would begin by continuing our Bible study looking at who Jesus is, what he did, and how he responded to people who wanted to follow him. Because this was not a day reporting day at probation, I planned to take Wes on that miniature golfing excursion as a special treat. It was my way of saying, I'm proud of you for how well he was progressing. Just two days earlier, I had finished a short version of his story and had sent it out in a newsletter to my supporters and prayer partners. Wes was looking forward to reading it and was very glad people were going to hear his story. As I walked towards the door, my phone rang. For some strange reason, my mind flashed back to that first phone call from Wes. Hello, this is Jim. Hello, Jim, this is Mary. Mary is a caseworker from an organization called Choices. As such, she had been contracted by probation to coordinate the wraparound team for Wes. Mary began to tell me a story. A story that made me wish I had never answered the phone. You see, when you believe in the approach to ministry that I call invested ministry, you pour yourself into each person who asks you to help them. This is the way I've been doing ministry since 1986. It was during those early years of ministering to disconnected higher-risk youth that I realized the only authentic form of Christian ministry is invested ministry. It is the only way to exemplify the invested attitude of Jesus. Jesus proved how this is the way God's love expresses itself when he emptied himself, came and identified with us amid the stench of our sins, and obediently sacrificed himself on the cross. Only by living this attitude, the attitude of authentic Christian love, can we demonstrate to people what they hear as we talk about Jesus. 
This approach to Christian ministry was something Father had worked deep into my life. It is the reason why each young person God allows me to befriend and help becomes like one of my children. I often refer to them as my kids. However, Wes, well, Wes was that and more. And it was not only me who felt so deeply about him. Even those who worked with him from a professional standpoint broke their rule of professional boundaries. For me, it was not just Wes's goofy smile or the crazy way he had of turning a bad day into a good day for each of us on the wraparound team. For me, it was how dedicated he was to change and how dedicated he was to live for Jesus. In my 30 plus years of ministering to these young people, I have rarely seen such a fast turnaround and such a deep desire to press on in the right direction. I know Wes had this desire because of his deep hunger to live for Jesus. That is rare in my world. This change, this desire to become was so great it caused all of us on the team to have great hope for Wes. Mary continued, Jim, I wanted to call you before you left to pick up Wes. Uh-oh, that didn't sound good, I thought. Mary continued with words that I know she did not want to speak. Wes died early this morning. Short, sweet, to the point. My heart sunk to the bottom of some deep, dark pit and felt like it had gone into convulsions. Mary continued to tell me that in spite of his 8 o'clock evening curfew, Wes had left the house after his grandmother had gone to bed. At 1 o'clock in the morning, two young adult females dropped him off at the emergency room and immediately left. The hospital called his grandmother to come quickly. But by 2 o'clock, Wes had gone home. To be with the Lord. Mary told me she was going to Wes's grandmother's home. I told her I would be there as soon as it took to drive there from my home. I woke my wife up and told her the news. Though she had never met Wes, she felt as though he was one of her kids as well. You see, I had talked so much about him, and then she was the one who edited his short story for me. I saw tears form in her eyes. I comforted her for a few minutes but then told her I had to get over to Wes's grandmother's home. Go, go, I'll be okay. Just take care of yourself and be careful driving up there. I need you. That was a familiar request I heard every time I left the house. It was very comforting, yet I had little time to muse on her words of love. On the drive to Grandma's house, my mind raced with all the could've, would've, should'ves that often go with such a traumatic situation. Before I fell too far down that fatal spiral, I heard a voice speak deep in my inner person. You have done everything you needed to do. Now, I know the still small voice of the Lord, yet I am sure the Lord allowed my synapses to fire in such a way that I heard Wes's voice say those words. At the same time, I knew it to be the Lord speaking. That gave me some comfort, but the grieving process was something I knew I had to continue. When I reached Grandma's home, Grandma welcomed me with open arms as we held each other and together shared many tears. Wes's uncle and Grandma's brother were in the room as well. His mother was asleep in the back bedroom. We talked together, we cried together, we laughed together, but mostly each of us sat wrapped in a blanket of deep devastation. 
Grandma's brother, a strong Christian, told me how Wes had told him about how he knew I was for real. He attributed it to the first time we met alone at JDC. It was the tears in my eyes as Wes shared with me that spoke so deeply into Wes's soul. I guess an old man's tears can be used by God in ways this old man never realized. Soon, Mary joined us. When we were about to leave, Grandma asked if I would do a memorial service for Wes. As long as you let me make it a celebration of his life and not a typical funeral, I'd be honored to lead a time of remembrance. Everyone there stated emphatically how Wes would only want it to be that kind of a service and would only want me to lead the service. Outside, Mary asked if I would be willing to go with her to the probation office. She wanted to check in and see how people in the probation department were doing. Of course, I said yes and felt once again honored that she asked me. As we waited for Wes's specific probation officer to arrive, we saw many other people from probation solemnly walking past us with tears in their eyes. The mood, the mood was sullen. We spoke to each one, and each one spoke of how special Wes was to them. When we met with his probation officer, she felt as devastated as Mary and I felt. We talked, we encouraged one another, and then Mary and I left in separate directions. Many things happened over the next few days. There was much speculation as to what had happened, but we were all sure it was drug-related. When the evening of the celebration service arrived, my wife and her friend from church joined me. As we celebrated Wes's life, I had the opportunity to encourage the family, many of the professionals who had served Wes, and many of his young friends. At the end of the service, I offered to his young friends that if they would like me to meet with them as I had met with Wes, they should see me after the service. I had 20 of my business cards with me when I arrived. I went home with only five. Many of you might think that my ministry and the services of the professionals failed with Wes. That thought ran through my mind as well. As I shared my pain with the community of Jesus followers I met with the Saturday evening before the service, one of the elders said something profound. He spoke of once being reminded that when a tree in the forest died and fell to the ground, it became the very soil in which many more trees would grow. The Spirit of God spoke that deep into my soul. I came to peace with the fact that Wes was gone, though I missed him terribly. The thought of a tree dying in the forest from which many other trees would soon grow became the theme of my message as we celebrated Wes's life. Did Wes screw up, as some would put it? Yes. And you? Have you and I screwed up with our walk with Jesus? You had better believe it. Wes stands forgiven just as you and I stand forgiven. I will always speak of Wes in the present tense, for he is still alive. His body just stopped working, and Wes, well, Father simply changed his address. Today I have a deep peace in my heart about Wes. Today Wes no longer fights addiction. Today Wes no longer is troubled by his past. Today Wes knows what it means to be by Jesus' side and to experience his deep love and that peace of mind which surpasses all understanding. And the new trees that will grow in the rich earth of Wes's story they are already beginning to sprout. Just one more word. 
Wes's grandmother has permitted me to tell you Wes's real name is Robert Anthony West. Her name is Sharon. Father has placed a deep conviction in my heart based on the analogy of the tree falling in the forest. From this day forward, I will dedicate the rest of my ministry with young people to the memory of Robert West. When I asked Sharon's permission, she was overwhelmed. I also asked if I could start a Robert West Memorial Fund at Dynamic Life Development. 100% of all these funds will go directly to the costs incurred by meeting with young men and women like Robert. I asked her if that made me sound like a money grubber taking advantage of Robert's passing. Jimbo, you have to be kidding. No, no, no. I know you. Robert would want you to continue your work. I know how much money it must have taken to spend all the time you did with Robert. Robert would be honored, and so would I, for such a fund to be established in his memory. Today, that fund has been established. 100% of all sponsorships from this podcast will go directly into that fund. They will only be spent on direct expenses in my ministry with youth 16 through 27 years old. I have also changed the names of both of the Youth Coaching Plus program and the Juvenile Justice Services program. They are now known as the Robert West Memorial Youth Coaching Plus and the Robert West Memorial Juvenile Justice Services. You can see these new names on both their individual Facebook pages and at the Dynamic Life Development website. Besides all the sponsorships for the Hello Jimbo Speaking podcast going into this fund, individuals can give directly into that fund by going to the support page of the Hello Jimbo Speaking website. The enemy meant Robert's death as a way to bring hopelessness by discouraging young people from believing change is possible. He meant to dissuade Christians from investing their lives into young people like Robert. It doesn't work, or it hurts too much, are the enemy's lies. Robert would never want such a thing to happen, nor will I, by God's grace, allow such a catastrophe. Not now, not next week, never. I will press on always remembering Robert's desire to change and to live for Jesus as Father works those same desires in many young men and women like Robert. And those young men and women? I am beginning to see some sprouts peek out from under the soil. Maybe, just maybe, one of them will one day take my place. 